So we're in part three of this series. Uh, many of us know some Bible stories, but we likely don't know the story of the Bible. And if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount or dismiss the stories in the Bible. So we've looked at two significant parts of the story of the Bible. And the first significant part is not the beginning, but rather more in the middle, particularly around Jesus' death, but more importantly, around his resurrection. In many ways, the story of the Bible begins with Jesus' tomb being found empty and a resurrected Jesus being seen by women and men and hundreds of eyewitnesses, which led to a sudden interest and now a reason to document the life, the teaching, and the works of Jesus. Before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus claimed he was the resurrection and the life and the Son of God. And if Jesus stayed dead, then we might never have heard of Jesus and there would be no the Bible. He couldn't be those things if he was dead, and so there was no reason to document these events. And so, in week one, we said that the accounts around Jesus' life documented events that happened. And then the second significant part of the story of the Bible was last week, when we looked at the part of the Bible that modern people have the most trouble with, the creation account. However, a big part of the reason it can be so difficult for modern people to understand is because of our filters for how we see life, they're very different from ancient people, particularly the ancient Gentiles. The non-Jewish or the Gentile people almost all worshipped or recognized many gods, including the Romans who had a pantheon of Roman gods. And yet, when Moses wrote about creation, he too was writing to a group of people who really only know, only experienced rather, life through the eyes of the Egyptians and their many gods. And so Moses is reminding the Jewish people who their God, who their one God was that they served. And so fast forward to the time after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Gentile, the non-Jewish people, are interested in a Jewish carpenter, Jesus, and the Jewish scriptures, including the creation account. And part of the challenge for these Gentile Jesus followers was similar to the audience Moses wrote to. They only experienced the many gods of the Greek and the Romans or the Egyptians, but when they began reading the Jewish scriptures, they found that in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people. And so today's message will mostly be about another large part of the Bible story, uh, the story of the Bible rather, that is difficult for modern people to understand and see how it connects with the Jesus parts a little bit later. And this large part of the Bible, the story of the Bible, that we'll talk about today is the Old Testament. Uh, one of the resources that has been helpful for me in simplifying the Old Testament and for writing this message is the Bible Project. Uh, if you're not a Christian, though, or if you used to be one, the Old Testament might be part of the reason that you have sort of dismissed the Bible or fallen Jesus. And believe me, I get it. If I had a chance to ask God questions, many of my questions would center around the Old Testament and what was going on. However, I hope today can be helpful for you in understanding how the story of the Old Testament connects to Jesus and how it connects to our lives today. And as with most of the Bible, what we don't understand is many times due to misunderstanding. And there are two big reasons that we misunderstand the Old Testament that will set us up for our time together today. Reason number one, the earth is similar, but our worlds are vastly different. And this probably can't be overstated, but our modern world is quite different from the ancient world. We have different values and different experiences. Most of us have never experienced the common experiences of those in the ancient world. Uh, war, famine, death, violence. Did I mention war? that cultures are so different, languages are different. So many things about our modern world are different from the ancient world. And yet, 
we try to take part of the writings from the scriptures, the ancient writings, and sometimes even other ancient writings as well, and we try to take them out of their ancient context to compare them and interpret them through our modern frame of reference, imposing our modern ethics, our morals, and our general worldview onto the ancient people, that creates many challenges. And just like you would probably prefer your future descendants to try to understand your behavior and your values through your current context rather than their future context, we also must try to do the same with the Old Testament. And so, the earth is similar, but our worlds are vastly different. And then the second reason that we misunderstand the Old Testament is that, number two, our literary styles are different. And while modern people like all the details, ancient writers didn't always include all the details. And while the lack of details can seem simplistic, ancient literature, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, was actually quite sophisticated literature. Uh, many of the questions we have about a seemingly lack of details usually would not have been seen as important to the author or his audience. And, and while this lack of detail and ambiguity can frustrate us, this was likely intentional by the author. Uh, the Bible Project says this, these oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovering. And one of the amazing things about the Bible is it sort of sort of pushes us to keep reading and then interpret each of the parts uh, with the view of the rest of it. And that can seem overwhelming, but this is actually why doing church by yourself, reading the Bible by yourself, living life by yourself is not part of God's design for us. And really, it's not even possible. And not only that, but the Bible is not something to be read and completely understood the first time you read it. Rather, it's meant to be a lifetime journey of reading, talking about with others, making connections, and discovering what it means. And yet, the Old Testament, as well as the whole Bible, still speaks to human conditions that we have all experienced and can relate to. And so, in the beginning, in Genesis, we see God show up as creator, but he quickly moves to Father, caring for his creation and giving them boundaries to protect their relationship. And this leads to a decision that humans have been facing since then, a choice represented by a fruit tree. And the choice was... Humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting his knowledge of good and evil, or humans could seize power, be controlled by it, and define good and evil on their own, which God actually warned would kill them. And unfortunately, they rebel against God. They listen to a voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them to seize power by taking the fruit. And this voice promises them the power and freedom to rule the world on their own terms, but as a result, they become suspicious and selfish. Relationships are fractured, violence comes, and the world redefines evil as good. And out of that, we zoom in on the story of Abraham. And God promises Abraham that from his family, God will bring a new people. However, Abraham doesn't have a family and doesn't have any children. And yet, through Abraham, God gives birth to a group of people, eventually a nation, with an international and a multi-generational purpose. A nation that God is giving another opportunity uh, to make a choice that could open up a new way forward for the whole world, which is why the rest of the world, or rest of the Jewish scriptures rather, document Israel's history and their decisions. And while God started a nation through Abraham, the path for that nation would not be as linear as we would hope. And that nation would eventually be enslaved by the Egyptians and the pharaohs who considered themselves to be gods or close to the gods. And then at the right time, God sent Moses to save his people from that environment. Moses tells Pharaoh to let God's people go, and Moses speaks on behalf of God. And in reality, God actually spoke to Pharaoh through one of the only methods Pharaoh would understand. Power. Uh, eventually, Moses leads God's people out of Egypt. 
And then Moses leads them to Mount Sinai. And there God establishes a covenant or an agreement with his people. That God says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. You're going to be separate from all the surrounding nations because I have a very specific plan for you. That through you, we are going to bless the entire world. And so God gave his people the laws and instructions to live by because they had no idea how to organize themselves, having spent hundreds of years in slavery ruled by Egypt. And the first five books of the Old Testament were called the Torah, which is typically translated the law because of all the 613 commands and laws in these books. However, that translation can be a bit confusing because while the Torah, these first five books of the Old Testament, has laws, the book itself is a story. And this story is about how God created people who were able to love and love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to fulfillment. So on Mount Sinai, God makes this covenant or this agreement with the nation of Israel. And the laws are the terms of this agreement. And some of the laws set Israel apart from the surrounding nations, but other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these laws, the nation of Israel would show the other nations what God is like. And this covenant was conditional in the sense that God would bless them if they obeyed it. But it was unconditional in the sense that they would always be his people with a specific redemptive purpose. Now, one of the challenges that some people have with the Old Testament, particularly the laws, are the laws that are given about including 19 laws dealing with sexuality. Uh, People see this as further proof that God is just wanting to limit our freedom and sort of keep us from fun and pleasure. However, what is interesting is that Egypt and Canaan practice all 19 of these sexual activities that God was prohibiting. This was another instance where God was saying to his people, I want you to be different and set apart from the surrounding nations. I want you to act differently. And this is for your benefit. And much of these are also for the benefit of the women and the children in your community. And interestingly, today, in every developed nation and most of the developing nations, 17 of the 19 sexual behaviors prohibited in the Jewish law are either illegal or frowned upon today. And even though at the time Israel was given these boundaries, these sexual behaviors were being practiced in the surrounding nations. Uh, One example is from Leviticus 18.6. It says, No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations, which seems very reasonable to us, right? However, it did not seem reasonable to the ancient Egyptians, the Canaanites, or other surrounding nations. And while it can seem like the law is antiquated, uh, narrow-minded, uh, the, the nation of Israel was actually actually centuries ahead of surrounding civilizations. That Israel was so far ahead at the time that fast forward 1400 or 1500 years from when God gave them the law, Roman civilization was slowly beginning to embrace some of these sexual ethics. However, at the same time in Egypt, across the Mediterranean, the monarchs were still marrying their siblings. And in the Sinai Covenant, we see God accommodating to the maturity, the experience, the knowledge, and frankly, the ignorance of these ancient people. And God speaks to his people in a way that is superior to all the civil and the moral religious codes of the surrounding nations. In fact, the protections afforded to the most vulnerable people were revolutionary. That women were better protected and had more rights. Servants, foreigners, children, they all fared better under the Sinai Covenant than they would have in the surrounding nations nations. Why? Because as we said last week, the Jewish people from the very beginning believed there was a single God, not a multitude of gods, that in the beginning God gave dignity and value to all people because he created all people in his image. 
that people were not an afterthought. People were not to worship creation, but people were the pinnacle of creation. And this would set the Jewish people apart from the beginning, and it would continue to set them apart from the surrounding nations for centuries. In fact, there are parts of the world today that still haven't caught up to what God said 3,500 years ago. And when Moses gave the first laws to Israel about no idols and not worshiping any other gods, while that is happening, we see Israel break those very laws by worshiping a golden calf. And so God gives, more, God gives Moses more laws for the people, but then there are more stories of rebellion. More laws, more rebellion, more laws, more rebellion again. And you start to see a lesson. The people are going to rebel no matter how many laws they have. And at the conclusion of the story of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Moses gives a speech to the Jewish people as they prepare to go into their new home. Moses tells them he knows they aren't going to follow all of God's laws because they have proven that they are incapable. Moses says that the problem is their hearts are hard and they need new transformed hearts if they are ever going to follow God's plan through the law. And the Jewish scriptures go on to recount Israel's rebellion and total failure. They enter the land and break all the laws. And despite God's personal guidance, Israel gives in to that same temptation to rebel and to redefine good and evil on their own terms apart from God. Uh, something else that Israel would do that we still do to this day, particularly on Instagram, uh, they looked around at what other people had. Israel would look around at what the surrounding nations had instead of looking up to God and they would look around and say, we want one of those. We want to be like them. They seem to have it easier, so why can't we? And one of those things that Israel wanted, that the surrounding nations had, was a king. And against God's better wishes, eventually Israel got a bunch of kings. And God didn't want Israel to have a king because God wanted them to view him as their king. But Israel got a bunch of kings, and most of Israel's kings were disasters. Because that is the tendency and temptation for humans who have power and influence. And so, that is basically the first segment of the Old Testament, called the Law. That's the story of humans being created and rebelling against God, even though God was trying to redeem the world. And the next segment of the Old Testament is the Prophets. And in Jewish tradition, the historical books and the prophetic books after the Torah were all called the Prophets, because they were continuing the story from the perspective of the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets are telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through the Jewish people, who it turns out need a new heart. And God would send prophets to warn the people and to correct the kings. And Israel was warned by these prophets that their choices would lead them to be conquered as captives living in exile. And that's exactly what would happen. Israel would rebel even when their best kings and leaders were in charge. And some of these leaders loved God's guidance and even seemed to have divine wisdom. And yet, they would rebel. And so even with God's personal guidance, Israel failed. And so, then who can succeed? Uh, the prophets said the story wasn't over, thankfully, that God was going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. Uh, for example, Ezekiel says, if Israel is ever going to obey God, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. Uh, Jeremiah said that when God's Spirit transforms their hard hearts, that is when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep within their hearts. Uh, Isaiah, in particular, promised a future leader who could lead them to follow God rather than rebel against him. 
Isaiah was a prophet about 600 years before Jesus, and while much of his prophecy makes sense within its original context and the issues that he was addressing during that period of time, there are portions of what he wrote that was mysterious to the original audience. They didn't understand it. He talked about a mysterious suffering servant whose suffering would somehow benefit the nation, but somehow his su- the suffering servant was also going to benefit the entire world. Uh, we're going to start reading in Isaiah chapter 53. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So I'm going to read you a few verses from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah is sort of looking beyond his immediate context to the coming leader, the Messiah, the ultimate fulfillment of what God had in mind for the nation of Israel and really for the rest of the world. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. Basically, the Jewish people would wonder, someone else paid the penalty for our rebellion? Like, that doesn't make any sense, because we use lambs and goats to do that. That's what the whole sacrificial system is about. Isaiah continues, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That leaving God's path for our own is the story of humanity from the beginning. And yet God provided a way forward. Verse 8. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. However, remember, these words from Isaiah came 600 years before Jesus, and so the prophets in the Old Testament sort of end with these promises of a new leader just sort of hanging there, unfulfilled. However, the purpose of the Old Testament is that the Old Testament chronicles the story of human rebellion and God preparing the world for our Savior. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul, who was a Jew, who knew the Old Testament inside and out, summarized this idea. Uh, Writing in a letter to the Gentile and Jewish Christians living in the Roman province of Galatia. Here's what he said in Galatians chapter 4. But when the right time came, when God finally got everything and everyone in the right place, when the set time had fully come, but when the right right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And that law was the law that God gave the nation of Israel, the law that was the, the guide until the new leader or the Messiah, the Savior, stepped onto the pages of history. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That Paul saw this because Jesus saw himself continuing the story of the law and the prophets. That he was bringing all these promises to their completion. And on top of that, Jesus confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into. And Jesus resisted its power. 
And Jesus also taught about God's definition of good and evil. And he said that real power is serving others. And according to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kind of people who actually rule the world. And he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it was out of the human heart come the ugliest parts of the human heart. Hate, murder, lies. That the default setting of the human heart is opposed to God's law. And Jesus said that all of the laws in the Torah can be fulfilled by the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others. And while that seems simpler than having to fulfill all of the 613 laws, Jesus showed us that love is far more demanding than we can handle with our own hearts. And he, quote, he quotes the law saying, yes, you, you do not murder, but then he also says that when you treat someone with hate, disrespect, or resentment, you are also violating God's moral ideal because you aren't treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend to our enemies. And before that, Jesus' greatest uh, command seems simple, but Jesus continued to show how our hearts are not equipped to fulfill this basic command of God, to love God and to love others. However, where Israel failed and where we fail is where Jesus brought the story to fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah and our Savior, he fully loved God and others, and he showed the world what God is truly like. And he did this through his acts of compassion, mercy, and grace, even loving his enemies through his death. And he came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than the evil, and even death itself. And now all of humanity has a new covenant and a new choice represented by a new tree, the cross. To stick with this world's way of being human or to venture into God's different way. And after Jesus' resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law to love God and to love others. And because people who know that they are loved and forgiven by God, they can actually become people who love and forgive others in return. Those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's spirit and his power. And so that's part of the story of the Bible, and particularly the story of the Old Testament. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the scriptures that we have. Thank you for the writers in ancient times who would document and record things as a way to communicate the story of God, of the story of you. And God, thank you that it's been passed down and, con and uh, contained and, and preserved for all these years. Thank you that we're able to read it. God, would you help those of us who are a bit skeptical and, and we don't see how it connects or we, we don't realize the differences that are there between us and it seems antiquated and it seems old and it seems narrow-minded. Would you help those of us who have those feelings to see how you could use it and how you set apart this nation with this incredible sense of justice and caring for the oppressed and caring for marginalized people in a way that was not around in those days. And thank you that that's a part of your heart then but it's also a part of your heart today. So God, would you help us to know how to apply that? Would you help us to see how the story of the Bible uh, impacts all of history, but also how it impacts us? Would you help it to change our lives to be more like you, that we can't transform our hearts, we can't follow the law on our own. We need Jesus, we need a savior. God, thank you that you can do that. Thank you that your spirit can come and live inside of us and give us a new heart, give us a new life to live. God, would you continue to transform and change us and make us in your image? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.